It's not just horrifying when there's a fire, but it's even more horrifying when there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, the biggest concern is always going to be life safety. People can rebuild a house, they can rebuild a restaurant, um, but you can't get people back. Literally, Stump Canyon flashed the entire canyon all the way through both sides and flashed across the road within a five to ten second period. In June of 2011, the Monument Fire burned more than 30,000 acres of land in the Huachuca Mountains. The Herald Review spoke to first responders, nonprofits, homeowners, and journalists, all who shared their experiences of the blaze and reflections on the event 10 years later. These are their stories. In part two of our series, we'll dive into the fire's rapid growth, the response of our first responders, and the evacuations of residents and their animals. To assist local first responders, the Northern Rockies Coordination Center, based in Missoula, Montana, assigned an incident management team to the Monument Fire. Greg Ponson, the area manager of the Northwestern Land Office of the Montana Department of Natural Resources and Conservation, was the incident commander of the Northern Rockies Incident Management Team during the Monument Fire. Today, Ponson shares his experience of the Monument Fire 10 years later. We had initially gotten called to um, go to the Wallow Fire in the, the east side of Arizona there to relieve one of the teams that was timing out. And we got all the way down to, I think it was Pine Top, Arizona, um, and got word that they were thinking of diverting us to a new start, which is exactly what happened. So the next morning, um, which would have been June 13th, we left Pine Top for uh, Sierra Vista. Um, our operations folks kind of plugged in there with the locals to get a feel for um, kind of their plan and, and uh, strategy and tactics. And as we set up our our uh, command post and got ready to assume uh, control of the fire the following morning, which would have been, um, I think we took it 0600 on the 14th of June. And the 14th of June is kind of when it showed its hand. Uh, that was when we realized what kind of uh, tiger we had by the tail here. By June 16, 2011, the Monument Fire burned 17,224 acres in total as it surged across Highway 92 from Stump Canyon. When it came through that canyon, it was almost instantaneous. I've never seen a conflagration like that before in my life. That's the voice of former service to fire chief and Cochise County Incident Commander Randy Redmond describing his firsthand account of the fire jumping Highway 92 for the second time. Uh, Chief Miller with Fry Fire happens to be on the Yaki station. I'm at the station over on Julio Cesar, which I'm substantially further away. He calls me and says, you need to get out here, Randy. We need to deploy our units on the north side of this fire. We have a problem. And I get out there in time to see Stump Canyon blow out and go across five lanes of traffic like nothing. It went right across the road and down to the valley and start running. And so we called all of our county resources again. This time we got 120 people and about 60 or 70 trucks, plus all the Fry's resources, Fort Huachuca, Palomino, Sierra Vista, everybody was there. And we're chasing this fire down through the valley and stopping it, and essentially we did stop it. Um, but it was a horrible blowout that day. When it came to the collaboration between both incident commanders, tensions arose. And it was uh, five people in the response team for the uh, Type 3 incident command team, 
for the federal government, and they ask us to go home. And at that point, I was not comfortable. Um, as the acting, acting incident commander for our team, had a discussion with Greg Ponson, who was their incident commander, and asked him how they were going to handle the fire in the morning because it's going to fire up, the winds are going to fire up, we're going to have a problem. And he said, that's not for you to worry about. I'm asking you guys to leave. We got this handled. And I insisted on, you don't have a fire truck here, you don't even own a shovel. So how do you expect to put this fire out in the morning? And so so coming in, I mean, it's it was um, just a very challenging situation with some unprecedented fire behavior. Um, and so a, a lot of... Um, I would have to say um, kind of anxiety around the situation. We offered to bring the fire departments into unified command, but I'm not, there was some reluctance to do that. And I think maybe because they wanted to have the freedom to um, make the decisions that um, they felt needed to be made without, um, you know, having to uh, either bring us along. And uh, we basically had to tell people that they have cut us loose. So we went home, knowing what the next day was going to bring, and it did. The next day, the next canyon blew up, and we had to go back out and try to assist. And they still didn't have resources. Resources started to roll in the next day, but they were not active and involved. The incident commander had the philosophy of, we'll let it burn down, and then we'll get it. Uh, that's not the way that we fought fire. With wildland fire, you need to put out the front lines and stop it from moving. Um, so it was eight days of continuation of us trying to work and assist with the federal team and eight days of them telling us, you guys are idiots, you need to stay home, you're not helping us. I'm not exactly sure what, what it was, but um, we, we did the best we could to make sure that we were integrating to the uh, full extent possible. As the fire progressed, so did the tensions surrounding it. We had uh, one of our apparatus at Ricardo's, Ricardo's restaurant, and we had water. Um, they had federal, uh, federal engine there. They refused to let us supply any water on Ricardo's. But we're not spending our resources on this building. As we know what happened to Ricardo's. Ricardo's restaurant, owned and operated by Ricardo Aguirre since 1978, was one of the 91 total structures that were destroyed or damaged from the monument fire. The Herald Review reached out to Aguirre for comment, but did not receive a response. During this time, many residents were forced to pack up their belongings, evacuate their homes, and find new living accommodations until the threat of the fire subsided. Angela Darty, a Hereford resident since 1979, recalled being evacuated for the first time on June 15, 2011. Wednesday, they came and they said, yes, you gotta go now. So on Wednesday, we started just taking dresser drawers and with the clothes in them to have time to pack. So you throw everything. We, we had three vehicles packed. And then we had three cats and two dogs. I had to round up three cats, locate cat carriers. We got them put in uh, the RV. And when they told us to go, we headed to my mother-in-law's house. So we stayed there until the weekend. Well, Saturday, it was, it had crossed, it had breached the highway. And so 
at that point, when it, it come across by Car Canyon, then we were on pre-evac again on Saturday. So we're like, now where do we go? So my husband was working for the city of Sierra Vista at the time, and they said any, any of the employees were welcome to store their things, their vehicles, or even camp on the city grounds. My husband worked for Parks and Rec. So that's where we decided we were going to go. Darty said that by June 19th, she, her husband, and her mother-in-law were forced to evacuate again. So Sunday morning, we started making trips into town with a vehicle, following and coming back. We got back that afternoon, I think it might have been around 3, the, the, the firefighters or the border patrol or whoever was notifying people came by, told us, you got to go now. Human residents weren't the only ones forced to evacuate to avoid the flames. As many animals also had to be transported from residents' properties to a safe location away from the fire. The Horsing Around Rescue Ranch and Foundation, a Hereford-based nonprofit organization, jumped in to help evacuate residents' horses from behind the evacuation line during the Monument Fire. The biggest issue started was that they kept moving the evacuation lines out farther and farther. And once people got out, they couldn't get back in. And so because they couldn't, couldn't get back in, their animals weren't taken care of. That is the voice of Steve Boyce, who is the co-founder of the Horsing Around Rescue Ranch and Foundation. So I went to Larry Devers, who was the sheriff then, and I said, Larry, we got a problem. And uh, I said, I can, we need to do something to get these animals out from behind the lines of the evacuation line so that we can save these animals because otherwise they're going to perish or they're not going to have water or feed or anything else. And Larry said, come back and see me in the morning. I said, all right. They gave me a permit that we put on the trucks that we could go behind the lines when we got up to the security guards or whoever it was it was on the, the evacuation lines. We could do that. And we had people calling us from everywhere. Sheriff's Department was sending us people. People would call in and say, look, my horses are behind the line. I can't get them. What can I do? We hauled a bunch of them, and we one group of horses we hauled that we had to go clear to Bisbee and around and to come back around and come in 90 to bring it back in. And we all kind of decided the best place to take it was the middle of Sierra Vista because if Sierra Vista burns up, we're all in trouble anyway. And so we took it down to the riding club down there where the arena was, and we started bringing horses in. I could get behind the line, so I bring horses in. Co-founder Teresa Worrell said that the rescue transported 109 horses total throughout the fire. Once horses were removed to safety, somehow they had to get back home once the uh, boundaries were lifted and the homeowners were allowed to return. The craziness was that some of those horses were moved twice, and a few of those horses were moved three times as the fire grew. So people would take their animals from their own property, take them to a friend's property, and as the fire grew in acreage, then they too had to evacuate, had enough trailer space for only their own horses, and then these other horses were, were stuck. For smaller animals, the New Frontier Animal Medical Center housed 400 animals during the fire across their main building and three annexes. Catherine Honda, the hospital administrator at New Frontier Animal Medical Center, shares her experience coordinating living spaces for numerous animals during the fire. The owners brought the pets to us. I had no idea. I'm thinking at the time, you know, 20, 30 animals. It ended up being 400. We started with filling up our exam rooms 
And it got to the point that that was clearly not going to be enough. So I got an annex, an empty building across the street. And then we ended up with another annex. So now we had two. We had a cat house and we had a dog house. And then we also needed a place for special needs pets. So we actually had New Frontier full plus three annexes. Amid all the evacuations, reporters focused their efforts towards keeping the community informed. It was interesting, emotional. Um, As a journalist, you're excited to get those stories because they are just incredible. I mean, these are people going through a moment in your life that a lot of people don't ever experience. That is the voice of Adam Curtis, who is the City of Sierra Vista Public Information Officer. During the Monument Fire, Curtis was a reporter with the Herald Review. Curtis recalls one of the most memorable stories he wrote during the fire as it burned through Ash Canyon. This gentleman called in the office, and uh, I think Eric forwarded the call to me, um, and he turned out to be the last person out of Ash Canyon. Um, He actually had a classic car collection and many things in his house that he wanted to get out of there, but by the time he was ready to leave, the sheriff's office was already there basically saying, you have one trip. You can't make two trips, so if you want to keep a car, you better pick the right car, basically. So that guy was super frustrated that he can't get all his stuff out, so he kept waiting. Um, At a certain point, it became clear the fire was rounding to the point to where it was going to shoot down the canyon, and his house was kind of high up in the canyon. Um, So he was getting everything into his truck, getting his pets in his his truck. He couldn't find his last cat. Um, So he was heading back into his house to find his last cat when the American flag on his porch above his head erupted into flames. So he about-faced, fumbled for his truck keys as he ran down, ran down his driveway. In his head, he, he said he was thinking, oh, I'm sure this is the time my truck isn't going to start. Like, this is the day. So he's fumbling for his keys, gets in the, in the ignition, starts his, his truck, um, and belts it down Ash Canyon. Um, as the fire is literally, the flames are on either side of the road next to him. And he's seeing, he said, deer, foxes, other wildlife were racing down the canyon with him. Um, incredibly dramatic, insane story to hear. (laughs) Um, As a reporter, it was super exciting, uh, obviously, but I also felt really bad for the guy because he had so much anger and frustration about what happened to him. Um, But he ended up actually coming back later, sneaking behind the fire lines, uh, going to where his house was, and in the pile of ash that was his his house in Ash Canyon, uh, he was calling for his cat that he could never find and basically cried the whole night uh, on, his, on his old property where his, his home no longer existed. Stay tuned for part three of this series, where we'll cover the aftermath of the Monument Fire, the first reactions of evacuated residents returning to their homes, and the central lessons they take from this monumental event 10 years later. Thank you all for listening to this special edition of The Daily Chirp. To listen to more content, go to www.myheraldreview.com forward slash podcasts or check out The Daily Chirp on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. This podcast is sponsored by Lolly Automotive Group, Apex Network Physical Therapy, Sulphur Springs Valley Electric Cooperative, Benson Hospital, and Prestige Senior Living. I'm Summer Hom, and for the team here at The Herald Review, we wish you all a pleasant and informed day. See you soon!